Like I said, we're in the second half of Matthew 26. There's just too much of Matthew 26 to do in a single week, right? There's a lot to it. And um, last week we talked about the lady washing Jesus' feet and anointing him for burial, that that perfume, they didn't take baths every day. They didn't wash behind their ears every night before they went to bed. So that perfume that's on Jesus is probably still on him at the Last Supper. And that perfume that was on Jesus is probably still on him at the cross. See, he, in the midst of everything else, he could smell that. Isn't that pretty wild? Judas has already taken his 30 silver coins to be, from the Pharisees to betray Jesus. And Judas has left. But Jesus is still at the Last Supper with the disciples. And they are still sitting there talking. Now, this is pretty funny. Matthew, what Matthew covers, this is just, just makes you really appreciate what these gospel writers, what they focused on, what they paid attention to. Matthew covers in 10 verses what John covered in John chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17. <laughs> so it took John half of his gospel, no, a third of his gospel, takes Matthew 10 verses. But if, some, if he's only going to cover it in 10 verses, that just makes those 10 verses that much more important, right? Because what is, what, if he's only going to give 10 verses to something, he's going to give it to the most important part of what John covered in five chapters. And that's where we begin today. Matthew 26, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take this, eat it, this is my body. He took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink it again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. So, this would be an awesome time to really go into Passover and talk about Passover a whole bunch. We're not going to get that deep today, but we're going to talk about Passover a little bit. Because Matthew is the most Jewish of all the Gospel writers. So, when he refers to something like the Passover meal, everybody that's listening to Matthew recite this, everybody that's reading it, knows all about the Passover meal. Right? It's kind of like if I said something like it was the end, it was time for the football sectionals, and he painted his whole front yard blue. You guys all know what I'm talking about. I don't have to explain that, so we can move on. But now, my friends from Wisconsin, 
are going to drive down the street and they're going to see this whole yard painted blue and this whole other yard painted red and they're going to be like, what's going on? And we're going to be like, well, there's Wrights and there's Modern Day. Modern Day is the Catholic high school and Wrights is the public high school. And the kids live next door to each other and there's two big West Side high schools and there's this big rivalry and the kids that play football. Woo! That's how you get John explaining Passover and everything that Jesus said in five chapters, sort of. Matthew doesn't do that. So we kind of miss out. So we got to fill in some of the blanks because it is really exciting what happens. It says that Jesus took the cup. Well, the cool part about Passover is you drink four cups of wine throughout the whole meal. I don't know about you guys, what you do on Thanksgiving and all that business, but imagine Thanksgiving dinner but part of the tradition that you're required to do is to drink four glasses of wine through the course of just the meal, not counting all the cooking and all that. Well, they drink four cups of wine because each one of those cups of wine represents a part of Exodus chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, when God makes a promise. And God says, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. In that section, there are four I will statements that God makes a promise. And every cup of the Passover is a celebration of the I will statements from God. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will separate you from Egypt, from your burdens. I will rescue you from their bondage. So that means I'm going to put you in a new place. I'm going to free you from your slavery. The third cup is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you and I will save you. I will save you. I will redeem you. And then the fourth cup is the cup of praise. I will take you as my people. You will be my possession. You will be my God. I, I will be your people. You will be my God. We'll be together. A lot of historians think that when Jesus said this is the cup cup of my blood, the cup of the new covenant, that they were on the third cup, which is, I will redeem you, I will redeem you from Egypt, from your sin, from your slavery. So here's Jesus at the meal. All these little Jewish boys that grew up doing this every single year know that cup number three symbolizes redemption. And Jesus says, this is a covenant in my blood. This is a new covenant. He just turned the cup of redemption. What? Like we, it even says in Hebrews, Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? But at the Passover meal, Jesus didn't pick up the lamb and say, this is my body broken for you. He picked up the bread. So yes, Jesus is our Passover lamb, but at Passover, Jesus did not say he was the lamb. 
he said he was the bread. So what's the deal with that? Well, there we got to talk about what the bread was. The bread was special bread made without any leaven. And leaven represented sin. Because yeast, yeast, so you got your dough, right? You guys know how this works. You got your dough, you put yeast in it, and the dough gets bigger than it really should be. Because it's just full of air. It's not really, I mean, it's really good. I would much rather eat like PB&J on bread than on cracker, right? But it's not the substance. It's not really there. And that and among other reasons, God equates leaven with sin. So unleavened bread, Jesus is saying, I am sinless. He's proclaiming that he's holy, that he's pure, that he doesn't have any sin in him. There's a bunch of other really cool stuff with Passover about that bread that got broken. They believed that it had healing powers. They would hide it for a portion of the meal and then the kids would go seek it out and find it. And then the dad would buy it back from the kids when they found it. All of that points to Jesus too. But I think the big takeaway is he was sinless. He was pure. He was holy. And he was broken. The other super cool thing in that whole thing, notice Jesus doesn't say, I'm finished, it's all over. He says, I can't wait to drink this. The next time I drink this with you, it'll be in the kingdom of heaven. Which means he is going to drink this again. There is going to be another Passover meal. Now, if you are the disciples, you know what happens. Jesus dies. He is dead. His body is halfway embalmed. How is he ever going to drink this again? Well, somehow he's going to. He promised that he would. He said that he was excited to. So death is not, this is another way Jesus is saying death isn't the end of him. It's not going to be over with this. Another cool thing, we're not going to read it, but you can do it for your homework this week. Uh, The hymn that they sang... Usually the last hymn of Passover is Psalm 136. And Psalm 136 is this big old long psalm, but it's a response, it's a uh, call and response psalm where all the people shout, His love endures forever. And, you know, He brought down the kings. His love endures forever. He delivered us through the Red Sea. His love endures forever. It's one of those. So, just realistically speaking, Read Psalm 136. See how celebratory and rowdy it is. And then imagine a whole bunch of guys drinking four glasses of wine and then singing that song. It, it just it brings it a lot more to life than any Jesus movie you've ever seen. Um, any book you've imagined of everybody being really serious and behold, I say unto you, no, they... They are singing Psalm 136, and it is a chant, and it is a shout. His love endures forever, celebrating the faithfulness of God. So they sang that at the end. And then they go out. They go out to the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives was um, it's kind of like Jerusalem is up on a hill. It's just really high. 
and you can see for miles from Jerusalem. And then there's this valley that goes down, and then up here there's another mountain, and that's the Mount of Olives. It's not as tall, but it's, it's just like right over there. And they went there to pray a lot. This was not the only time they went there. This is one of Jesus' spots that he liked to go to. He liked to take all of them. And they go, and this is either while they're going or once they're there, Jesus says, you will all fall away because of me tonight. You're all going to abandon me. After I'm raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter always wanted to speak up. Even if everybody falls away, I'll never fall away. Jesus says, gives him a little detail. Tonight, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You're not just going to deny me once, Peter. But before the sun even comes up, you're going to do it three times. He says, even if I have to die, I won't deny you. And all the disciples said the same. A lot of times we focus on Peter. Like Peter was the one that said he wouldn't, and then he did. It says in here multiple times, all the disciples said, we'll never leave you, we're for you. But just keep that in the back of your mind. Peter already has this sort of amped up, I need to show Jesus that I'm not going to deny him. I need to, you know, once you've been accused of something, you try to try really hard to prove that it's false. Peter is now... That, that little switch has flipped in Peter. We'll see what happens here in a little bit. You know what's happened. I'm already setting up something. You already know. Okay. So Jesus goes into the garden to pray. And he, the main group is here. He gets James and John and Peter. And they come up with him a little bit further. And then Jesus says, you guys wait here and pray. And I'm going to go over there because I need to be alone. But I need you guys to be close. And uh, just total side comment. This scenario, if, you, if you're ever in a spot where somebody's hurting and grieving and in a, terrible, in a terrible place, and you don't know what to say or you don't know what to do, this, this pattern that Jesus set up for himself is a great pattern. Not that you're Jesus going off by yourself, but that the person that you care about needs to be alone, but you can be nearby praying. Um, there's been numerous times where I've seen people like, you know, you're having this, this medical procedure, I'm going to be sitting in the parking lot praying. I'm not going to be in the room, I'm not going to be there bugging you or needing your hospitality from your mother-in-law, any of that stuff, but I'm going to be nearby praying. And this, this can be a really powerful, a powerful thing to serve somebody. So he goes and he prays. He says, my soul, this is Matthew 26, 38. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus is so upset. He, he is just, he's like, I could just die. I'm so sorrowful. He goes a little bit further. He falls on his face and he prays, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, 
but as you will. So this whole interaction, Jesus goes back three times and he's praying and he's he's telling God, honestly, I don't want to do this. But he's not saying, I don't want to do this with an attitude of, I'm not doing this. Does that make sense? And what a big difference there is. We can go to God if we, if we feel there's a burden on us, if we feel there's something that God wants us to do, if we feel like there's a situation that we need to do what's right, we don't want to do it. We can tell God that in a way that isn't rebellion. We can tell God, I don't want to do what you're calling me to do in a way that isn't sin. Because Jesus never sinned. But here he is saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's a way to do this a different way. So the prophets talked about a cup of God's wrath. There's a couple different prophets that talked about the cup of God's wrath and who's going to drink the cup of God's wrath. And so that's where he gets this language. I mean, he's not going to drink a cup, right? There's no cup involved in the crucifixion. But that's, that's what he's talking about. So like I said, he does this three times because he goes back to Peter and James and John and they're asleep. And he's like, come on, you guys. He has this little outburst. Couldn't you watch with me for one hour? Can't you stay awake for an hour? <laughs> he says this again. He says this really interesting thing. He says, pray that you won't fall into temptation. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. Their moment of temptation is coming. And Jesus knows it. And he is telling them, if you stay awake and pray right now, that will help you with the temptation that is coming. The same thing happens to us. The same thing that we, we can interact with God and we can pray. If we see something that's coming, just an awesome practical thing. Okay, let's say Thursday at 9 in the morning. I have this terrible meeting that I'm dreading. And I already know I'm not going to sleep Wednesday night. Because I'm dread, 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 right? Well, what happens if on Monday at 9 and on Tuesday at 9 and on Wednesday at 9, I take 10 minutes to pray for that meeting? Do you know what I'm doing? Okay, spiritual level, who knows what I'm doing, right? I might be, there might be angels, there might be, you know, when Daniel prayed, the the prince of Persia detained Gabriel or Michael for 29 days before he actually came and was able to speak to Daniel and give him a vision. Wow. So I can pray and, and God does things and God acts and moves At the same time, I'm building up in my life a pattern that every morning at 9 o'clock, I'm exalting the Lord. So what happens on Thursday at 9 o'clock? I've built up this habit in my life that I'm exalting the Lord, and I'm also in a stressful meeting. That would be the best way to walk into a stressful meeting, right? 
pray that you won't be overcome with temptation. Build up ways to pray for things. Um, I knew a guy that had a... He, he would look at stuff on the internet, and he didn't want to look at it. So he put an internet passcode in that was like a psalm, or it was like Proverbs. Beware the wicked woman. Her mouth goes down into death. You know, he had to type in this big old long password to get to the internet. And by the time he typed in that long password, he didn't want to look at the internet anyway, right? He set up a thing that would help him endure temptation. Well, it doesn't work. Finally, 26, 45, he came to the disciples and he said, sleep and take your rest later on. You're going to have time to nap later. Because right now the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. My betrayer is at hand. This is how much Jesus is in control. Jesus didn't pray until he got interrupted. He prayed and then he was like, okay, time to go. Wake up, everybody. There's a Roman army coming up the hill to arrest me. While he's still speaking, Judas comes up with a crowd of swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. They just, they had this whole mass of people coming and um, Judas greets him. The deal is that he's going to kiss Jesus on the cheek, and that's going to let everybody know who Jesus is. All right, what in the world? Everybody knows who Jesus is, right? They knew who he was. They saw him in the square. Well, it's the middle of the night, and they're on the Mount of Olives, and there's all these other disciples around. So it's hard to know who is who in that, in that setting. So... Judas really points him out. Jesus says to him, friend, do what you came to do. It's like, don't waste time with this kiss business. Don't don't greet me. Just get it done. I think that's interesting because if Jesus had any point, if he had any chance at any moment to just punch somebody, it would be Judas right now. And he doesn't. If, if he had if any opportunity to kill somebody or to attack somebody or to have vengeance on anybody, Judas is right there giving him a kiss on the cheek. And that would have been, I mean, sure, he's still going to get arrested, but that would have been his chance. And Jesus didn't do that. Wow. They come, they grab Jesus. This is great. Matthew 26, 51. One of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. It says, one of those who were with Jesus. Now, we all know it was Peter, right? But Matthew is telling this story in a time where Peter is still alive. And so if he puts into the writing, Peter, everybody's going to be like, wait a minute, he's the head of the church over here in Jerusalem. Oh, scandal, right? Peter did it. Matthew also doesn't talk about the guy getting his ear healed. He just gives that a little short, Peter did it. Well, Peter has to prove to Jesus that he's not going to deny him. Jesus, I'm not going to deny you. I'm going to show you how dedicated I am. 
that when they come and arrest you, I'm just, I'm just going to be swinging my sword around. I'll show you. It says, put your sword back into its place. All who take the sword will perish by the sword. If this is how you're going to live, you're going to end up dying this way. And that's not, that's not the plan here. Then he says, Jesus says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? Note, in the Old Testament, one angel killed 168,000 men. So you do not want to see what a legion of angels can do, right? How then should the Scriptures be fulfilled? The thing is, for the last couple hours, Jesus has been asking the Father, is there another way we could do this? Can you send in a legion of angels? But He's asking Him in a way that He's submitting to what God's plan is. Is there another way that this cup can pass? Is there another way we can do this? Could you send in 12 legions of angels? But then everybody's sins wouldn't be atoned for. Could you do this? But then everybody's sins wouldn't be atoned for. Okay, so this is how we have to do it. This is how the scriptures should be fulfilled. I think the other way that God... In one of the Gospels it says angels ministered to Jesus in the garden. I think one of them was reminding Jesus of all the scriptures that he was fulfilling by dying on the cross. Because that's, that's the answer he gives, right? Matthew 26, 56, all this, Jesus says, all this has taken place that the scriptures would, of the prophets would be fulfilled and all the disciples left him and fled. There it is. They all abandoned him. So the crowd takes Jesus with torches and pitchforks and loud ruckus. They would make a noise. There's no way they can move secretly. They're a big old giant army. There's elders of the city. They'll go to Caiaphas, the high priest's house. And the scribes and the elders are there. It's the middle of the night. Peter is following in the distance. Peter doesn't want to get caught. But he wants to see what's going to happen. He can't can't stay away. The chief priests and the whole council are seeking false testimony against Jesus so they can put him to death. So under the Levitical law, they have to have two witnesses say what Jesus did wrong in order for him to, to get a death sentence. If one person stands up and says, oh, he did this, and then... They say, okay, did anybody else see him do that? Well, I saw him do this. Everybody's making up stories about what Jesus did that deserves death, but they can't find it. They can't find two witnesses with a matching story among any of them. At last, two come forward. This is 2661. Two witnesses come forward and they say, This man said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. So just to say, that's not illegal. That's just stupid. Right? I can tear down this whole building and build it back up in three days. 
they'd be like, that is utter nonsense. Like, that's, that's just a madman. Well, the high priest has been hearing all these accusations. He's just looking for something, something tangible to try to justify why they should kill Jesus. And this business comes up. Well, they valued the temple a lot. Like, like a lot, a lot. So if you say you're going to tear down the temple, you're getting locked up kind of thing. After all these other accusations, the high priest hears that. He says to Jesus, have you no answer? What is it that these men are saying? And Jesus has the perfect opportunity to teach all about the temple and about how the glory of God was in the temple and came away from the temple. And has come. He's been doing that for weeks, right? Jesus has been teaching this stuff for weeks. And he knows that in this illegal court, because you're not supposed to have court at night, you're only supposed to have court during the daytime. And here they are having court at night. He knows they're not going to listen. So he doesn't even talk. He doesn't even speak. How powerful is that? But then there's this funny thing that happens in 2663. The high priest says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So you know how you get, if you go to court, they issue a subpoena. And if you get the subpoena, you have to go to court and there's no way out of it. And even if you show up and say, I don't have anything to do with this, you have to show up. There was like this magic word, this magic phrase, this special clause that if the high priest used those words, you had to speak. And that's what he used right there. So it translates it, I adjure you by the living God. This is where the high priest is pulling this little law out of Leviticus that says whenever the high priest asks something with this code word, you have to speak. And so Jesus, who would otherwise be silent, who would otherwise not say a word because he knows nobody's going to listen, never broke the law. He always kept the law. And so here he answers. The guy says, tell us if you're the son of God. Jesus says, you have said so. You're saying that yourself. But I tell you from now on, you'll see the son of man, which was a word that Daniel used to talk about the Messiah, seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus He knows they will instantly stone him if he says he is God. But for those that will hear, he's saying, you know who I am. And here's the prophecy that you know is true. Well, that that was enough for the high priest. The high priest, so angry, tears his robe. This is blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. So that when Jesus said that about the Son of Man seated on the throne and you have said it, that that was enough for them to confirm that he was saying he was the Son of God. They say he deserves death. They spit on his face. They struck him. They slapped him. They said, prophesy to us, Christ. Who is it that struck you? Um, 
So spit on his face, and they struck him. Spitting on a man's face was so dishonorable. So if I spit in Jim's face, you guys would be upset. Jim would probably punch me. It would be bad. Under Levitical law, I would owe Jim 400 days wages. So you hit the jackpot, right? Yes. That's, so that punishment, that is one of the highest non-death punishments in the book of Leviticus. And it just shows what a absolute, disgraceful, embarrassing, horrible thing that is. Does that make sense? It's not that they were spitting on his face because they, they were just being mean. They knew that was the top level, top level disgraceful offense they could do to him. And if you're a Jewish person reading this for the first time or hearing this for the first time, as soon as you heard that, that would, that would, be, that would be really stressful. That would be really intense. They, they spit in his face repeatedly. Wow. Um, they're slapping him. They're mocking him, saying, Okay, prophet, who slapped you? What's his name? Who did it? And Jesus just takes it all. You don't see the legion of angels coming in and killing all these guys. Um, honestly, a lot of these guys probably died a natural death. They probably lived out their lives after this totally normal. Um, we do know that in around 67 to 70 AD, the Romans came in and absolutely killed all of these people. Anybody that was still in Jerusalem, uh, over a million people died. Um, they, they burned the temple down with so much heat that it melted the gold that was between the limestone and the gold ran out like a liquid. And underneath the temple, I mean, all of these guys absolutely got destroyed by the Romans. If if they hadn't already, that that wasn't until that wasn't for another thirty years. So they may have died of natural natural stuff too. So that's going on with Jesus. Peter has snuck along to watch it, and Peter can see this going on. So there's Peter. Even if everybody denies you, I won't deny you. I'm going to get out my sword. I'm going to shut. Come on. I'm going to fight. Jesus says, no, that's not how we're doing this. Peter sneaks along. Now he sees Jesus getting spat on and beaten. And it's terrible. Three times. Two of them were from servant girls. So the way the way the, the architecture worked, the high priest had his house. He had a courtyard outside. There would be all sorts of attendants. There would be there would be people. There would be servants. There would be soldiers, and they'd be awake all night long. They'd be on twenty-four hour shifts. Um, there'd always be somebody watching. You know, if you need to appeal to the high priest for something, you would come. But it's nighttime. You know, you came all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem, and you get there at night, and you can't see the high priest at night. So you got to wait. Well, you wait in the courtyard. So there's all these people around in this sort of waiting area. And uh, I say waiting in, in a courtyard, in a, in a park. A good way to picture it would be a park. There's people waiting in the park. 
for the Indy 500 to open. And when it opens, we're all going to go in. That, that's a lot more accurate. So Peter is in there among the crowd, and a servant girl says, you're with them. You're with Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, Peter says, no, I'm not. I'm not with him. Another person says, you got an accent just like Jesus does. You're a Galilean just like he is. Which, little side note, isn't it awesome that Jesus, like all the movies that you think of, Jesus usually has a British accent or he's the only American. With Galileans, who Galileans were, like to us, Jesus would have a Boonville accent. I mean, that's what Galilee was like. Galilee was where the hillbillies were. And they all thought that they were hillbillies. And Peter has a hillbilly accent, so to speak, just like Jesus did. Gosh, talk about humble, right? This man was Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denies it with an oath. The, the other gospels say he brought a curse on himself. You know, you hear people say, I swear to God, I didn't do it. Or, you know, whatever thing. They bring a curse on themselves. They make a swear. And that's what Peter did. He's like, Dag Nabbit, I don't know him. I mean, he's saying some sort of, I don't want to say an expletive, but he is saying something with extra passion, extra oomph on it that he does not know Jesus. And it's at that moment that the rooster crows. So there he is. He says he went out and he wept bitterly. Everybody abandoned Jesus. Uh, We know from the Gospel of John, John is still in that courtyard. John hasn't left. But not only did Peter say... To these people, I don't know him. But here he leaves. He goes away. And he disappears. We don't hear where Peter went. We don't know if Peter was at the cross. We don't know if we know John was at the cross. Uh, we don't know if Peter saw any of the events the next day. Where he is, he completely abandoned Jesus at this point. So... This is the end of Matthew 26. It's a horrible place to stop, but it's also an excellent place to stop. Because remember last week, the whole thing that we talked about was, here was Judas selling out Jesus, getting six months wages. Here's this lady giving everything she had to Jesus, giving him a year's wages. And what that exchange, now when it's really down to it, Jesus is getting spit in the face And the justice that he deserves is that every one of those men owes him 400 days wages. But he is not demanding it from them. Even with angels on his side, he is not demanding it from them. And Peter, in whatever form of fear that he's walking in, has lost everything because he doesn't want any of it. So you got this whole play going on. We're right in the middle of it. We're going to be in the middle of it for another four weeks. And in all of it, look at Jesus and watch and see what Jesus is doing. Because it's not easy for him. He doesn't want to do it. But he loves the Father more, and so he is. All right, let's pray. Lord, we praise you.
that your love for the Father gave us benefits, gave us blessings, that your devotion to obey God was nothing but a bonus and a gift and a grace for us. And we praise you, Lord, that even though we know what happens with Peter, even though that he abandoned you, we know that you forgave him and you reinstated him and you brought him back. Even though we know what happens to you, Lord, in all this getting spat on and hit, that you would raise from the dead. And I pray that you would put that kind of hope in us every single day, Lord. The hope that you are not finished, that you will drink that cup again in the kingdom of heaven, and that you will be with us in every single, no matter how awful, circumstance. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. Amen.